0: Good morning Mount Helena. I'm uh, delighted to be here. <clears throat> I've, um, I've been a pastor for 27 years and uh, and I've been retired for seven years and, and occasionally get to preach and I just always counted it a privilege to preach here. One of the things that I've noted um, over the years is sometimes when uh, I feel like God really wants to say something, um, Satan sort of throws back stuff at you. You know, you get involved in a little spiritual warfare. So yesterday I decided not to go hunting. I was going to take the whole day, you know, prayer, relaxing, taking it easy, reading my, going over my sermon, the whole bit. And uh, um, first thing in the morning, we have a guest at our house, came up and said that we had problems with our sewer, with our septic tank. So I went downstairs and looked at the septic tank, and sure enough, it was completely full. So I called um, uh, Helena Septic Service. I recommend them because they helped me yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) So Helena Septic Service shows up over at the house. And um, the guy, he didn't knock on the door. He just walked. He knew where our stuff was. He walked around and uh, pulled one of the tanks off. Well, what had happened in the meantime was we have a brand new puppy. She's three months old on the 25th. And uh, it's a golden doodle, and she jumps about this high every time she sees somebody. She's just so excited, you know, she's just jumping all over the place. And so she followed this guy down around to the the two tank lids. And he pulled off the first tank lid, and he turned his back, and she must have dove to say hello to him and went right into the tank. (laughs) Needless to say, that sort of (laughs) messed up... (laughs) the morning a bit. She got an immediate bath. (laughs) So I think God has something to say to us. I know that sounds weird after that, but I really think God wants to say something to y'all this morning. Otherwise, odd things like that don't normally happen to me. (laughs) Anyway, um, I want to talk to you this morning about the priority of worship and and in this, I'd like to ask you a question. Would you like to know the direction and purpose for your life? Maybe you're at a place where you're, where you're struggling to know what is next. God, what do you have for me next? I, I've been in that position, um, retired. Okay, Lord, what do you want us to do? Um, I'm, um, I, I ask that on a regular basis. And I'd like to suggest to you that the act of worship can be the doorway to knowing God's call and direction for your life. I super appreciate our worship services here. They're awesome. Uh, These guys do a great job. And many times God has spoken to me here in our worship service. Just whispered in my ear, whispered in my heart and said something to me. In fact, a couple of months ago, he he said, you're gonna be preaching more. And out of the blue, this church that's gone through some real upheaval asked me if I would fill their pulpit some for a while. And I, I mean, that was totally out of the blue. But a couple of months ago, sitting right over there, God just said, you're going to be preaching some more here See, He does stuff like that. He wants to speak to us and he wants us to hear him. And worship prepares our heart. The word worship means to bow down or to humble oneself. Years ago, I had it defined to me as giving worship. It's recognizing who God is and then recognizing our place before him and our need for him. It has everything to do, if you would, with Christian growth. We mature in his presence. We become Christ-like in his presence. Worship acknowledges the need of his presence. I need God. I think we all need him. Worship can be done alone or in a group. Actually, I think it should be done both. Worship is talked about all through Scripture. Genesis has a number of of altars built throughout the book, the book of Psalms is a book of worship, and in that you find every human emotion bowed down before God. The book of Romans calls us to make our lives a living sacrifice. I think you're going to put up that verse, but it says Romans 12:1 and2 says, "I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's worship. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Worship should be our priority. Worship prepares us for God's bidding and His direction for us individually as well as corporately. Worship acknowledges our utter and complete need for God in our lives. The worship time in our church, or in a church, is meant to acknowledge God's presence, to invite Him in, to acknowledge our need for Him. It's a time to prepare our hearts for the entrance of God's Word and consequently light into our lives. The, the worship team, I, I think they knew this, but they, you guys have a huge responsibility to to just bring us into God's presence. And it's so important. And they do a great job. I want to say that again. I I love our worship here. When we hear God's word, we should be ready to hear God's voice because one of the most definite ways He speaks to us is through His word. Worship is the act of submitting and humbling ourselves before Him and His word and recognizing who He is and acknowledging His lordship in our lives. Worship is praise. Worship is submission. It's bowing down. It's humbling ourselves. It's calling out to him in distress and joy. Worship, if you would, is the Christian's lifestyle. Or it should be. I know we struggle at times with that. I don't worship all the time. I'm not perfect. But I want to be focused on him. I want to enjoy him. I want to relate to him and interact with him. That's all part of worship. I want to look at one of the most powerful worship pictures in all of Scripture. It's Isaiah 6. If you have that, you might want to turn to it. We're going to read it here. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, He covered His face. With two, He covered His feet. And with two, He flew. One cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the, doorpost of the, uh, or the, and the post of the doors were shaken by the voice of Him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the, thong, with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who shall go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. Did you just pray with me for a second? God, we ask that you would open this word, your word to us here, that you would speak to our hearts, and that you would call us to a deeper commitment to worship you, to just enjoy you. Father, um, have your way with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Several things I want you to see from this passage. The first is, I think, a continual need in our lives for worship. It's the priority of worship. I believe um, Isaiah was a man of habitual prayer and personal worship when this whole thing happened. Apparently, he had gone into the temple and he had a vision. And the vision, the picture of the vision is God seated on his throne. and It was overwhelming to him. He was alone with God. And in that state of prayer, God just showed himself to him. In a in a wonderful way. He tells us specifically when it happened. It was during the year of King Uzziah, the year he died. King Uzziah served as king for 52 years. Many think he and Isaiah were good friends. So Isaiah may have been in deep mourning for the loss of his friend. Uzziah was basically a good king, but he made one grave error in his life. He usurped God's order of worship. And God struck him with leprosy. And so he spent the latter part of his life uh, separated from the rest of the kingdom in a house off by himself. His son Jotham ran the kingdom. He would ultimately become king. Uzziah served for 52 years. Jotham served for 16 years. He was a good king, but there's not much said about him. If you look, it'll be about three or four paragraphs in Chronicles about him kings. But he was a good guy. His son, though, was a very wicked king, Ahaz. He served 16 years. And then Hezekiah followed him, and he reigned 29 years as a good, good king. Isaiah served under all four of these kings. He had a long life, and he's noted as probably one of the greatest Old Testament prophets. And I believe... Part of that was because he spent time in God's presence on a habitual basis. He prayed, he worshiped, he, he spent time in the temple. I want you to notice, too, the position of the seraphim. Look at verse 2. It says, above it all, that is above the throne of God, stood these seraphim. Now, as I understand it, the seraphim are um, some of the most powerful angels that God created. And their job was to basically take care of the throne of God or to worship around the throne, to call out to God. So they serve God continually by worshiping him and doing his complete and utter bidding. Now, I want you to just note what it says about them. It says, with two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. I want to suggest to you that that with two, covering his face, two wings, it doesn't tell us much about the the way the guy looks, or the angel looks, but it says that he, he, he took two wings and he covered his face. That's an act of worship. He was He was covering his eyes because he was in the presence of God, and he humbly couldn't look on him. And then with two, he covered his feet. I think that also suggests an attitude of worship, because... When you cover your feet or you limit the movement of your feet, you only go where the one you're following leads you. And then it says with two, he flew. That was what he did to serve him. Wherever God would send him, he would fly with those two wings. Particularly around the throne of God, he was uh, circling as I see it. I'm not sure if that's exactly what was happening, but he's going around the throne of God. And in the midst of all that, he's covered himself to worship him. I think it's interesting that with two-thirds of his basic being, he worships God, and with one-third, he serves him. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I've given that some thought. I I wish that I could spend two-thirds of my time and effort and all that I am to worship him. Don't know that I can do that. But that's what's happening in the throne room of God. And then it says, he began to praise him and it says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The seraphim praised the Lord with three cries of holy. I believe that he's, the seraphim is looking at God on the throne and he sees the triuneness, if you would, of God. He sees the three persons of God, God, the uh, Holy Spirit, God, the Father, and God, the Son. Uh, Matthew Henry suggests that, He's really looking at Jesus because we can see Jesus, but supposedly we cannot see God. The scripture says, if you you actually saw the face of God, you probably would die. And only one that I'm aware of in the Old Testament really even saw the face of God, and that was Moses. And he had a veil over his face when he left God's presence because it lit him up so much. Being right there at the throne, they could see that triune being. So they're continually shouting and praising and worshiping God as He sits on the throne of the universe. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the ultimate one. How many worship services have you been in where the worship was so loud and forceful that the door jams of the building were, in, were being shaken? I've never been in that kind of worship service. <laughs> Boy, I'd like to though. Can you imagine that? They were shouting his praise so loud that everything around them shook. Worship in heaven's throne room is very powerful. Worship is an act. It takes effort and determination. I think these seraphim were lost in worship and consequently were being overwhelmed by the awesome presence of God. And all they could do was shout his praise at the top of their voices' ability. When was the last time you were lost in worship? Hopefully just a few minutes ago. (laughs) Just get lost in his, in who he is, in his presence, in his magnificent glory. If that has never happened to you, I hope it will. It's something awesome to look forward to. I've only had a few times in my 46 years as a Christian when God has sat down in such a marvelous way that you're just sort of overwhelmed. You just, you don't know what to do. I want to be in His presence more. I think that's the reason you're here this morning. You want to be in His presence more. You want to know Him more. I want Him to overwhelm me with His love and grandeur and holiness and awesomeness more. If it means I'll shout and jump and dance like a fool then that's what I'll do. I've often wondered if I could just sneak around to the back of the auditorium and just, oh, yes, God, oh, ah, this is awesome. You're, it's so good you're here. I'm afraid I'd hurt somebody in the row back there if I did that. <laughs> I think God put this passage into the Scripture as a motivator for us to seek Him with all of our being. Now there's a price, if you would, to pay when we're in the presence of God. It's it's the price of confession. Look at uh, verse 5. He sees this marvelous vision of God on his throne and the seraphim flying around and, and worshiping him and it comes to him. He says, Woe is me, for I am undone. Isaiah suddenly realizes the kind of person he really is. He's in the presence of utter purity and holiness, and he sees his impurity. And so he confesses. I believe that confession is often the first response to true worship. Because when you see God, or he begins to impress himself upon you as he is, you realize who you are. And I know I fall super short at times of God. And I have to confess and get right so that I can continue to hear what God has to say to me. Isaiah, as he recounts what happens to him, says, woe is me. He's lost for how to respond to this vision of God in his throne room. I think you can almost feel his hesitation. Woe is me. He's seen the most holy, perfect being in the universe and it leaves him in a near state of panic. He's overwhelmed by God's utter in complete perfection. Have you ever been undone by an event in your life where you're left speechless and overwhelmed by the circumstance that you find yourself in? I asked my wife to marry me almost 38 years ago. Well, it was 38 years ago in August. And she was a little speechless, and I was a little speechless when she said yes. Holy moly. I was speechless when I shot my first elk. I want to tell you, that was amazing. the guy who was with me had been hunting for 10 or 12 years and never shot one, and he was speechless too. I was speechless when my first child arrived. I looked over at her, and she was just right out of the womb, and she just sort of went, ugh. I think that... Gets close to where Isaiah finds himself. And then he confesses. He's in the midst of a people of unclean speech. Does that sound familiar today? He's surrounded by people who use unclean speech. He's suddenly overwhelmed by his own sin. Look what it says. He says, because I am a man of unclean lips. He himself is there. He's confessing. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Jesus said that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Luke six forty five. So he realizes, Isaiah does, that his heart is not clean. And he repents, he turns. This is what happens when we truly worship. It's a good thing to have the light of God's holiness and purity shine on us and show us our sin so that we can confess it and turn from it. And grow, and be used of God. There was a time many years ago. I was, um, I think, twenty six. I'm sixty nine now, so I give you an idea how long ago it was. I was at a Bible school in Greenville, South Carolina. On a Sunday mor- or Saturday mornings, we would have prayer from eight to nine o'clock, and then we could take the weekend and do whatever we wanted to. On this particular Saturday morning, we um, we came in, and I was a bit you know in a hurry and so i looked at my clock and it was 8:45 and so i knew i had 15 more minutes and then god showed up unlike anything i've ever experienced before or since there were about 60 people in the room and every single person went to their knees except for the leader and he began to lead us in worship and all of a sudden everybody started confessing some out loud i heard things i never wanted to hear <laughs> some just in their hearts and quietly before the lord i was i was down behind a seat like that and i just i thought i've been here 5 minutes this is overwhelming i just i, I was i was beside myself if you would and then i looked at my clock And it was quarter till twelve. We'd been in the presence of the eternal. And there is no time. God did a work that day that I've never forgotten. He did a work in that school. Because He showed up. And He did what only God can do. Now I want you to see... The next thing, there's cleansing of sin that follows confession. Note what happens. God, via one of His servants, the seraphim, takes on the responsibility of cleansing His servant. Isn't that what Jesus does for us? He takes on the responsibility of cleansing us. That is what He did on the cross. We have to appropriate that. We have to take it in by faith. But that's what He does for us. He cleanses us. We have to confess our sins so that his blood can cleanse us from our sin. In this case, the seraphim picked up a coal and it goes over and it places it on his lips because that signifies he's a man of unclean lips. And by the way, your lips are pretty sensitive, aren't they? That's what we we do so much with. So he goes over and he touches that and he cleanses Isaiah and Thus begins his ministry, if you would. It's a surgical, precise cleansing of Isaiah so he can be used of the Lord. I have found that when God wants to do business with me, he specifically points out one thing that he wants to take care of. If there's a plethora of things, it's usually not from God. But when he wants to get my attention and get me ready for something, he goes right at whatever it is that's keeping he and I apart from being filled with his spirit. Do you need to be cleansed of sin today? Go to Jesus and he'll take it away. He'll take care of it. He'll cleanse you. Maybe you think you're all right. I think Isaiah did, but God then revealed to him his dirty lips, his filthy mouth, and consequently his heart, and then cleansed him when he confessed. Isaiah's cleansing also signifies the cleansing of the heart, the cleansing of the entire inner being. He touched his lips, but everything else was cleansed. And then in the midst of that, he clarifies his his calling. This all happened in the place of worship. That's why I think worship is so important. As we draw near to God, he draws near to us cleansing happens and our hearts are then ready for our assignment, our calling. You want to know what God has for you? And and let me just say, I don't think God's going to give you a play-by-play for the next 40 years of your life, but probably what he'll do is he'll say, this is what I want you to do in the next week or the next month. This is where I'm taking you. Two months ago, you're going to be preaching more, Beach. Okay. I like that. I like to preach. About six years ago, in this service, this, I think it was this Sunday, That was Sunday after Thanksgiving, God said to me sitting back there, He says, I want you to write a letter to your son and hire him. So I did. And Bo moved over here from Portland, Oregon. And we worked together for a while, then he started his own company. And he's doing great. He's been an elder in a church here. God's used him in a great way. Also, he's had two grandkids, and I really really like them. (laughs) I want you to see one other thing about this coal. I just want you to think about this for a second. This coal of cleansing starts the fires of revival. Note note one more thing here. A coal is a part of a fire. Do you guys remember the fire that happened out at, uh, I believe it's the Spokane Creek fire? Do you remember how that started? There was a man who had done some barbecue on a given day and his habit was to let his grill sit um, out until the embers went out, the coals went out and then he would throw them into the borrow pit next to his driveway. He waited two days, threw the coals into the borrow pit. Wind came up, the coals were not out. And the next thing he knew, uh, 20,000 acres had burned across the Spokane Creek area. A little coal goes a long way. Listen, when God touches you, when God starts to deal with you so that he can cleanse you, so that he can use you, that's the point of personal revival and can be the point of great revival across a church, across a community. I think Isaiah took this and he burned out for God. Last thing to see is in verse 8. Our calling is clarified in worship. He said, Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. When Isaiah had been in the presence of God, he heard God's call. Worship made him willing, worship clarified his call. God wanted to send someone to proclaim his message. And before Isaiah even heard the message or what it would entail, he volunteered. He knew God's call was good and that God would be with him and that God would provide and protect him and lead him. He trusted God, so he did not ask God what God would have him do. He just said yes. Did you notice that? Here am I, send me. No bargaining, no second guessing, no ifs ands, or butts, Here I am. I'm yours. Do with me as you please. Send me. This is the kind of heart God is looking for. A heart willing to be cleansed. A heart ready to be used. A heart that will say, here am I. Send me. I believe that you'll find that as you worship. Your heart will change, and God will then begin to use you. Show you what his plan is for you. Show you what the next step is. Jesus said in John 4 that God is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Will you commit to working on being a worshiper today? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Just opens treasure troves to us if we'll look. There's so much here that we can glean and learn from. And so, God, I pray that you would take these folks and draw near to them, show them yourself in the way you desire, but in a way that will transform them into worshipers. Most here probably are worshipers, but take us deeper. Take us down more into your presence. May we draw near to you. Thank you for Mount Helena. Bless this church and these people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.